Our text today, if you are going to follow along, will be in 2 Corinthians. Or as, you know, some people may have more famously said it, 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. Scroll back a little bit, past the Gospels, past a couple, uh, a couple other things. And then we get to 1 Corinthians. You go one more, you get to 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at big number 5. That's the chapter. Chapter 5. And we're going to start with a little number is 14. We're going to read through the end. Just follow along with me. Here we go. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the word of our Lord and it is true. There are two things I want to draw out this morning. The first of which is as follows. God reconciles us to himself through Christ. God reconciles us to himself through Christ. What did you just say? Let me break this down. We got to start with the word reconcile. Church, say reconcile. reconcile. Say reconcile. reconcile. Reconcile means to restore or in other words to bring back to healthy relations. It implies that something once was okay. It implies that at one point in time, something in this relationship existed in perfect harmony. It implies that at some point in time, relationships between weren't broken. How far back do we have to go to find that? The answer we find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And unfortunately, we can't go any further than that. The whole story of God includes in the very beginning God creating. God creating perfectly. God creating beautifully. God ordering everything just right. Everything existing in perfect harmony. And then the pinnacle of his creation, human, to further reflect himself. Except in Genesis 3, we're introduced to a problem where humanity falls. And ever since then, we've had to live in this tension. And ever since then, 
our passions and desires have been perverted. Ever since then, we've been selfish. Ever since then, we have lived for ourselves. And ever since then, God has relentlessly and endlessly pursued us. Not to chase us down and smack us with some immaculate hammer, but to run us down and to reconcile the relationship that once existed between us. To make everything okay again. So that everything can be all good. That we can be cool with each other. That his blessings can be our blessings. That we don't have to spin and spin and spin our wheels. But we can inherit the greatest kingdom that's ever been written about and we will ever see. That's what God's been doing ever since. And through Christ, he accomplishes that. Through the life of Jesus Through the death, through the resurrection, God brings us back to himself by providing the ultimate sacrificing and eliminating entirely sin's stronghold on our lives. He then begins a work in us. We see in the book of Acts the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within God's people. And the Spirit does this crazy work of transforming us from the inside. It's this crazy thing where we begin to revert back to something that none of us in this room ever knew, and that is the Garden of Eden. It's this crazy process where the Spirit begins to take us back to God's original intentions, not only for us and how he designed us, but for everything around us. God wants to see your house turn into the Garden of Eden. God wants that back. He wants to work on that process in you. And that includes the way we see people. It includes the way we look at each other. It includes the way we see God himself. And it absolutely includes the way that we live on a day-to-day basis. These feelings of passion, desire, and even discontent at times, they're not bad. Those feelings in and of themselves are not selfish. What we do with them sometimes, however, can lead us down that path. The thing that kills me, this kills me. I work, uh, I work at Malone. Many of this side of the room knows that. I work, at, I work at Malone, and what kills me more than anything is when I come across students who stifle passion who stifle desire, who stifle real God-given gifting because the world told them that that major they major in don't make no money, but you can't drop out because your parents will look at you funny. I hate that. Don't major in that. You ain't going to make a check. Well, guess what? No, I, I ain't there yet. I ain't there yet. I hate that. But the crazy thing is, I think sometimes as Christians inside the church, we do the same thing. We also create a box as to what it means to be a Christian, as to what it means to function like a Christian. This means you show up on Sundays. It means you raise your hands when the beat gets hot. But for Jesus. It means you show up on Sunday night. If someone's having dinner at their house, it means you come through on Wednesday night and you open that Bible that you don't open no other time. 
It means you say God bless you when people sneeze. It means you once a year go on trips to see kids who are in a country that's not your own. We create this Christian box that's different. It's different than the world's box. But guys, there will eventually come a point as long as you are existing in either one of those boxes where that box is not good enough. That box will not fulfill you. The Lord gave you different passions and different desires for a reason. If you love music, it's for a reason. If you see the way something is supposed to function and it's broken and you want to call that out and it burns you inside and you hate that, that's for a reason. The question is not how do you change those things about yourself or get rid of them. The question is not how do you stifle them. The question is not how can Jesus take his immaculate foot and step on it. The question is what does God want you to do with those things? How would God use these things if we were still in the Garden of Eden? I like to think of it like this. I have two daughters, four and two. That's their ages, not their names. <laughs> thank you. That didn't deserve that laugh, but thank you. And uh, uh, not that long ago, Rachel and I got a small table for our little girls because they like to sit at the big people table, but we thought it would be more appropriate. They're welcome at the big people table, but we thought at times it's more appropriate for them to sit at a table that's their size. So we got a table that looks just like our dining room table, but it's their size. And so they like to sit at that table. No, they don't like to sit at that table. That table becomes a stage. That table gets rolled out into the middle of the floor. They put on dresses, they put some sort of blanket over it, and they dance, and they perform, and they have recitals and stuff. And they love it. It's their stage. And that's fine now, because they're four and two. But if after years of life, and becoming enlightened to the societal rules and norms and learning how different things work... They're 35 years old and still dancing on a table. That's a problem. Then it's a bigger problem when I tell them that they have to get down. But then they turn around and they look at me and they say, but dad, this is the platform you gave us. So I'm going to use it. No, no. I gave you that platform for a place to pull up and rest. I gave you that platform for a place to put food so you can be fulfilled. I gave you that platform to surround you with great friends and family and community so you never feel alone. So now upon being enlightened, you no longer dance on these tables. Rather, your passion for tables will lead you to say to yourself, how did God intend me to use this table? Have you allowed the Lord to begin to transform even your passions, even your desires, even your goals? The things that you're good at or even just the things that you see and you want to partake in. Has the Lord truly begun to transform those things? 
Second thing, and then I'm out your way. God then gives us the task of reconciling people back to him. What good news it is that we will no longer chase the empty desires of the American dream only to be deceived and dissatisfied. What good news it is that we will no longer chase a race in vain to inherit a prize that is only temporary and will eventually rust or rot away. What good news it is that indescribable joy is not something to be attained but is a natural byproduct of leaning into our God-given passions and desires. What good news that is. Why wouldn't we want to share it? If you really love somebody, why wouldn't you want that to be what they believe too? This is, after all, God's salvation plan for the entire world. Jesus came and shared his passions and his desires with 12 people. He taught them all about the things that he knew, all the things that he felt, the things that made his heart beat and his blood boil. He passed on to these 12 individuals with the expectation that those 12 would then share their passions and desires with other people. Sharing with other people not out of who they are, but out of who he is and who he created them to be. God made Peter strong and stubborn and sharp with the tongue. God made Paul zealous. He made Paul have that extreme wild passion. That sometimes like rub people the wrong way. I've never experienced that. I've just heard that from Paul. That same expectation is on us now. Because the very end of that passage we read this morning said God plans to make his appeal through us. By the things that he has us do, by the things that he has us say, by the things that he has us lay our hands on and create, he plans to use that to speak louder to those around us than anything else we can come up with up here. God wants to make his appeal through us. My favorite part of my job is getting to stand up here on Sundays and look out at a people that I know are such shining examples of what we're talking about this morning. There's so, there's so many of you in here that I could call out. But I'll only call out the ones that I know probably won't mind, hopefully. I'm talking about Deshaun. I'm talking about the fact that he's continuing his education to be a nurse practitioner, not to climb a corporate ladder and try and get a bigger check, but because God has given him a desire to extend his love for his job in medicine to the neighborhoods in our community that don't have quick and easy access to health care. Oh, y'all get those hands ready if that's what we're going to do, because it's long, right? I'm talking about Garrett. For those of you who don't know, Garrett's from the middle of stinking nowhere. I think it's called Wayne County. I'm not really sure. 
And before this, he and his wife were living in Oklahoma. Where exactly? But he followed God's prompting who was calling him to match his love for sports with a population that sees a ball as more than an outlet but rather a way out. I'm talking about my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law Jeff, who this doesn't sound like a skill, but if you saw it at work, it is. He has this insane ability to find the best deals. And then he has an even crazier ability to like compile and manipulate the system and get turn something that was like 20% off over here, 10% off over here, and somehow make it 85% off in his shopping cart. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And he turns around and he uses that to shop for gifts for families and kids that are going to come through the Christmas shop in a couple weeks and benefit from his talent. I'm, I'm talking about the Millers, Austin and Marita, who love undervalued women in Bangladesh. Fun fact, it's Bangladesh, not Bangladesh. I learned that from them. But they live here. They used to live there. Now they live here. So what they do is they sell toys And other products made by these women who are undervalued and under-resourced, they sell them here, use our market to support a living there. That's pretty dope. And of course, I'm talking about the people we heard from today. I'm talking about Hannah, who's an accountant. But she's an accountant who crunches numbers by day and leads worship and loves on teenagers by night. (laughs) I'm talking about Naya, who's a high school student. What's the narrative of high school students? Don't tell me. I already know. But she spends her time loving her cities in all the ways that her city needs to be loved. God is using all of these things to speak to people who don't know him, but he's using them to speak to other people about who he really is. Not Not what the world says about him, but who he really is. That may just be where God is asking you to join him on mission. Where do your unique passions, desires, and talents match the needs of those around you? You ever thought of it that way? Where do your passions, desires, and talents, where do those line up with a need of the people around you? I would venture to guess, just a guess, that if you actually applied that, that the church would do the job that Jesus set the church out to do, and we wouldn't need all of the extra services that we have now. I'm pretty sure that's the way uh, uh, Jesus set the church up. Jesus came to this earth as a man who was God. Imagine the desires you would have if you had that much power. If you could walk past a tree, snap your fingers, and it burnt to the ground. There's some trees on campus I'd take care of, that's for sure. Imagine if you had that much power. But God's desire for Christ was to save people. So that's what Jesus did. Have you 
allowed God to transform your passions and desires. And while he came, Jesus was given a specific target. Oftentimes when we tell you to go and tell people about the Lord, a lot of times, I know this is true for me, it's likely true for you too, if you want to be honest this morning, keep it 100. We target the people who are easiest. We target the people who are most receptive. Well, I talk to them all the time, so let me just casually bring this up because I already know how they feel. I know how to go. I know how this will say. We target the people who are easiest. But God's desire for Christ was to go to the poor and the oppressed. God's desire for Christ was to go for the orphan and the widow. God's desire for Christ was to go to those who were in need of healing, not those who could do 87 million jumping jacks. Are you sharing your God-given heart with those who need to receive it? Not those who are easiest, but those who genuinely need to receive it. This morning, if you don't hear anything else that I say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This morning, I want to implore us all to be a church that gives glory to God for our passions, desires, talents, discontents that we have been blessed with. I want us to be a church that then lets these things be a testimony for all around to see that God is so creative. That God made humanity not to be selfish, but to so lovingly articulate his own character and his own goodness. I want us to be a church that is not satisfied with the boxes and paths the world makes for us. But instead, we burn to see a world that is reconciled to its rightful and original creator.